0: Hey there, welcome to this episode of the Event Manager podcast by Skiff Meetings. I'm Miguel Neves and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings. This episode is all about why event planners need humane event tech and I have the pleasure of speaking with event technologist and educator Nick Borelli. The conversation revolves around the challenges with event technology and how a human and planner-centric approach is needed for event tech to succeed. We cover things like the radical differences between planners and event technologists, the unique and stress-inducing needs of event planners when it comes to technology. Why we need to really be able to unlock event data to make better decisions for an entire organization. We talk about the current state of the metaverse and how it may develop over the next few years. And we talk about some of the challenges that remain for the next generation of event technology. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and don't forget to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager podcast. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Manager podcast by Skiff Meetings. Today, I am delighted to have with me Nick Borelli. Nick, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Super excited to be on as a proper guest. Uh, I was the first, I think, uh, sponsor uh, of the podcast. Super, super excited about being on it proper uh, because I've been a fan of it. And even before it was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you've
0: been on on two episodes before, right? As yeah. a sort of sponsored guest, and now uh, you get you get a whole episode to yourself. Which is, <laughs> yeah, I'll which take is awesome, it. Which, which you more than deserve. So, um, would love to start just for, by an introduction. I, I, you know, I don't need a, a whole life story because I think we could be here for a long time. But just so people know, if people don't know who you are, then uh, give them a little bit of a taste of your journey uh, in events and meetings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So my journey, uh, starts, uh, in, when I'm a teenager and I, uh, I'm really, really into the internet, uh, in, in the early nineties, text only browsing. Uh, I was in uh, like bulletin boards and Usenet groups, uh, and just was really into the community part of it, mostly frankly, because there wasn't anybody into X-Files or Star Trek, uh, in my, uh, you know, around me. So I was like, let's go find a community that is, uh, so I got really into that. And then, uh, I started building websites because people were polymaths at that time, uh, not a lot of specialists. And I, I started building websites when I was 14 years old uh, for a marketing agency. And uh, in addition to that, my my dad said, you know, you should get a real job because this internet thing seems like it's going to be a fad. So um, <laughs> he got me a job in hospitality uh, as a dishwasher. You know, like really pulled some strings to get me a, a top level position. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> I, I uh, uh, started in, in catering and hospitality and events in that way. And, you know, over the years I've stayed in events and I've stayed in the digital. I, I for the longest time I was, I was in sales and marketing for hospitality companies in the, in the late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, and then I was also doing freelance web design. Uh, primarily I made a, a freelance business off of, uh, making bridal, uh, show, uh, websites and, uh, like marketing plans because like the, it was, it was a great business, I thought, because it was scalable. Um, whatever worked for one would work for any other one. And there are no competition, you know, you don't, you don't go between the, the, the Charlotte and the Los Angeles bridal show. You just stay in your market. So I could repeat the same package. So I learned that. And then I started speaking, uh, in the two thousands The first show I was started speaking at was a cater source, uh, and and then eventually the special event and over the years I just started merging what i what I loved about digital and what I love about in person uh, and finding that there was tons of overlap in the community and the, and the design elements of it and uh, I just kind of built a little career off of uh, being you know a kind of a dual citizen
0: <laughs> I love it and and you can kind of at least I can definitely sense a little bit of the tension between the the digital and the in the kind totally. of live event space throughout that that kind of story in your career? I've
1: lived in that awkward space in between. I've, I've done my best to try to... Uh, it's funny. Most people in the tech space, which we know a lot of those people, they have like all... If you get them you know, cornered somewhere where they're not on the record. They'll say all kinds of things about planners that are less than awesome. You know, like they'll say, you know, things that alluding to Luddites and alluding to, uh, you know, lack of understanding of this and that. But I'll be honest with you, it's as bad if not worse on the other side as far as their understanding of what makes live events tick and what makes planners tick. There, There's a lot of work to be done uh, between getting those two groups of people together on the same page. Yeah, I hear
0: you. I think. I often hear recommendations or challenges or suggestions from the tech side that are not only unrealistic, but just not practical because of how time-specific events are and how many yeah. details, you know, have to go right. And you really can't afford any, any kind of, you can't do A-B testing in a live event in mo- of, for most things, right? I think you can't <laughs> do small things, Yeah it's funny like i think of the word
1: failure as as kind of like my uh maybe the the rosetta stone to like understanding those two groups where one embraces it so much so that i would say every 10 ted talks ends up being about failure and how great it is that's technology mm-hmm. and then events it's uh, you may as well replace the word failure with death like it, it is, <laughs> there is there's nothing positive whatsoever in failure there's no learning lessons it's the worst, you know, it, they, they immediately, uh, never talk about it again and move on. Like it didn't happen. Like there's zero learning lessons. So, um, yeah. there's a lack of empathy all around on both sides of that, frankly, that I think walking a mile in, in either shoe would be useful, which I've done. Uh, and that's one of the things that I, I leverage is the fact that like, I, I kind of speak both languages, uh, and I, I try to get down to the, the, the sort of, um, emotional core of both sides in order to create some uh,
0: communication that is beneficial to both goals. Love that. Um, I mean, I've definitely been guilty of that. I've been on moderating panels where I've asked people to talk about failures and you never get a straight answer, no. uh, you know, as much as even if you can lead by example and talk about a failure or somewhere you learn, you get this sort of quasi failure that always ends up in the person being interviewed talking about how they turned it around and made everything yeah. amazing um yeah just never but in events is-
1: it's like or in tech it's the other way around right where you're just like oh yeah we we absolutely thought this was going to be like this. Uh, you know, this is the market fit. We put all this money into it. You know, more money than people put into the you know any given event for sure. And they're like, yeah. it just didn't happen. You know, uh, so we went back to the drawing board. And it's like you don't hear that tone. Uh, See, so for me, it's the tone and the, and the emotion around it. Like if you hear that that same story from events, uh, from planners, whoo, it, it's uh, it's it's very depressing. It's not It's not this like fun thing. I'm like, oh, we absolutely dropped all balls we could drop. Uh, but, you know, look at us today. We're still here. That's not how they yeah, say I, it in the events world. To be honest,
0: I'd love to hear from the Platter side, if, if anybody has some insights into this. When, when you hear a tech person talk like that, does it just sound incredibly unprofessional, uh, scary, you know, side sort of all of the above kind of thing? Because to me, it sounds refreshing in many ways because you're kind of saying hey we bet on this we tried it it didn't work now we know it doesn't work so now we're going to bet somewhere else and hopefully the company's still doing well enough that you can make some more bets um, but yeah like you say when it comes to events you can't really do that because in most situations you're sort of betting the farm at every event and then if you make a big mistake that's it you don't get tech tech
1: Puts chips down on a bunch of different numbers, spins, you know, never gets as big of a payout, maybe necessarily, but certainly, uh, it, it just, they have other things moving. And, uh, you know, events put it all in one chip, you know, one day, one, one, one landing. Uh, and if it doesn't roll on that, you lose all the, you know, you lose everything. And, uh, it's, it's very, it's very risky, uh, for that. But like, I mean, event planners, I want to let you know that those tech people are thinking about failure, like the, you're hiring those people too. So those people, uh, who have ability to, uh, make impact on, on your experience, like they don't think like you, like there, there's a possibility that what they do, what they provide to you doesn't go right. And yeah. their feeling of that is, well, you know, we learned a lot from that. And they'll come to you and say that, like, "Oh, you know, sorry about how that happened. We we learned a lot. Next time." And you're just like, "Whoa, why would there be a next time? I'm never going to work with you again." And you <laughs> failed, you know. And they're like, "What do you mean? Like, think yeah. you could have gone with anybody and only get even day." Some of the biggest platforms have failed like hugely in the last couple of years. Um, but that that's not weird. Like that's that's tech. Like it, it does that. Uh, huge leaps and and lots of risk, and you know that's how it plays. Uh, and the risk-averse uh, event planner is also one of the most stressful jobs. And tech people are not, isn't that weird? Like, how much billions of dollars ride on those jobs, and you know, you'd think how much pressure there would be. But when you see those lists of the top most stressful jobs in the world, or the you know, any specific country, you don't see tech people in there.
0: Yeah, tech developer is not usually on no. those lists. No, right? but event planner even. is right. So VC something's yeah,
1: VC yeah exactly
0: uh you'd think VCs
1: would be right they they're essentially professional gamblers but uh but they're not because you know the house always wins generally uh but uh yeah it's uh it, it, there's a lot between those two camps that that could still use a lot yeah. of communication i think
0: yeah and i mean tech also has that advantage that it has sort of instant signals of what's going Right totally wrong
1: events right. could uh, and then yeah. that and therein lies one of the the opportunities when it comes to events is the fact that what what uh technology lacks in in humanity uh, events lack in uh database decision making so um there's a lot of um, monitors on Tech to determine what what things are going in what way uh, and events oftentimes is more of a, of a gut feeling you know and uh that's been and that's been the number one thing I've uh, professed when it comes to speaking over the last 15 or 20 years has is, is been about data. Uh, it's, to me, it's the thing that is the de-stressor, uh, believe it or not. like It, 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 it empowers you. It gives you uh, tools that can get you out of a silo uh, and, and make you seen as the important person that you should be. It might get you more resources and not just say, we had a good year. The event was in this year so therefore next year we will continue to have the event and it's like well that's meaningless you know should less more different all those things and and that's what data you know gives you uh, it just, it, there's probably no word that is less exciting to uh, the, the standard event planner than the word data. You know, BEO is more exciting than that. Shavari <laughs> chair is more, ex- Kabuki well, drop,
0: you know, but like I think it data, comes down to that risk thing again, right? Like BEO, yeah. you know what a BEO is. No matter totally. how funky Pass- the fail. food is, you know what it is. Data. How do we deal with that? Like, how do we make planners get comfortable, feel happy about data sources and and ultimately knowing what to do with it because that's the big one yeah because because that's you know you get providers have different ways of providing data um especially if it's a virtual event i think there's all those data points and that's just yeah, given. So it's really exciting but i see a lot of people having access to data i don't mm-hmm. see a lot of um kind of decisions being made in advance about what you're going to do with the data and when you're going to do that with the data, right? Because you theoretically could make a lot of spontaneous decisions, curate content, even decide which questions to ask and where to head based on what you're seeing in the data. But I don't think many planners can see a sort of, you know, whatever Story. it looks like in the back end, like a Google Doc or, or an Excel spreadsheet or maybe a dashboard, and sort of have the awareness to plan to make decisions based on what they're seeing live, right? yeah
1: i think i think they have to to hear more stories of how data was used differently Uh, i think that their gut instinct is to use data uh, if they do uh, for iteratively better events and that's probably the the extent of of their vision of what data can do it can make it um let's say more people went to this guy's session than someone else's therefore let's bring him back next year that is a use of data I would look at it like, okay, who went to the other sessions? Well, you know, it was only ten percent of the people, but were all of them CEOs? Interesting. So, okay, I I could say as an exhaust uh, that tells me that um, CEOs in this circle are, are very interested in this type of uh, data. And I would go to the sales team and say, are you having a hard time reaching those types of people? Um, you know, SDRs. Let's change the scripts and include content around this. Let's do content marketing with keywords around SEO uh, based, uh, strategies that include that type of content, I'm all of a sudden infusing my entire organization with, with data that I gathered from an event, but that's because I look at an event like a focus group. You know, I, I just, it's a big focus group. If you pay attention and you, and you look at the signals and you create opportunities where there's forks in the road, uh, specifically designed in order to determine where people are going in the same way that you would design a poll then all of a sudden your event has uh, more than just let's make it better next year, but let's use the information that we gathered from people voting with their feet to uh, make better decisions for the entire organization. That's the kind of potential that I think data has. And then all of a sudden your your event isn't pass fail on did you grow attendance, uh, were uh, the reviews mostly positive, but in fact there's all these other derivative uh, uh, benefits that make it so you might get more investment, your, your your job is safe, you might get more tools simply because you uh, gave data as an output uh, of the event. But that makes you—you you have to think like a marketer, you know. You have to think like a salesperson, uh, and you can't think like just like a planner. And I'm always very cautious of most of the simple answers I have for things being it, resulting in planners just need to do more, right? You need to know. You know, I remember years of like having to do training for active shooters. Then it was all this virus, and then it was uh, we had to understand. You know, I mean, everything from foodborne allergies to political unrest in certain cities. Uh, and you have to understand uh, lighting and and how if, is it too many redundants or not enough redundant uh, technology that you uh, hardware that you have in your building, then it became virtual. Should I have three sixty five? mean it's so much asked, right? And I think that's the problem. my My only feeling is if I can empower you to pr- either create more revenue uh, or or have more wins uh, as the output of your event, maybe you can ask for more. Resources, you know. I mean, I, it. I think if you if you can prove that you're worth more and you don't get more resources, I mean this this isn't maybe fair either. But I think you should go somewhere else, you know. But if you if you're in a good organization and you say, hey, like I'm going to put a concerted effort in into this year of providing you more valuable output to the the end goals of the business through this event, if I do that. I can I can actually do even more than that if I had more resources. So can we commit to that? Like th- th- those are things that you you see in marketing all the time. You know, like I say, I'll spend this much money in PPC uh, for the next three months, and if this is successful and I determine something that is uh, turnkey, can we double down the investment? And the answer almost always is yeah, of course you can have twice as much money. But planners don't ask for twice as much money, uh, and it's because it's an ask and it's not a two way street. Uh, so again, being in this kind of like place between digital and face to face, which really ends up being between marketing often, uh, and, and in-person planning, uh, I see things like that, uh, and how to negotiate like that because, um, I live in both worlds. And if I was, you know, if I was focused on creating just an event, I, I wouldn't have the luxury to be able to be in both worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do. And so I try to like give that out as much as possible to say like, if you want to solve your problems, you need to find more money.
0: Yeah. And if you can prove that there is more money or that there is more upside that there's some kind of advantage there, then you have a huge, you have an ace up your sleeve, right? You're kind of saying, look, I can show you that that this is good, right? Yeah, I
1: can't. I have a a tattooed ace on my sleeve. Uh, I I believe in that so much. Uh, It's a a good thing to have uh, some kind of, uh, superpower, let's say, you know and and I, I figured out mine kind of of like this being in two worlds as my superpower um, yeah. uh, because I saw the pain and I know that like being in an intersection uh, of of pain uh, is is a really valuable place to be of two different pains. Um, and it that journey for the last year and a half or almost two years uh, has taken me to conversations around the metaverse over the uh, over the, at least the last year for sure. Uh, and when it comes to digital and experiences and, and that is like the, the next level of disassociation between uh, groups of people, you know, like there's there's adamant uh, people uh, right now that are that are especially I was at IMEX this year and there was a lot of like I don't want to ever talk about virtual events again uh, floating in the air and in the, in the planner world. And I can only imagine when the maturity of the metaverse continues, how much more there's going to be division between uh, two camps, because it, it's it's poised to be, uh, you know, people talked about virtual being the replacement uh, for face to face, which is, you know, obviously, I, I mean, I think both of us understand that that's not a real thing. Um, but there were still people that felt that way. But when you start bringing in virtual architecture and uh, and three D involved into it, it becomes more one to one. And I think that you know the way that the planner world is set up right now, uh, being against uh, technology that is trying to replace them, is what their their thoughts are. Um, then it's uh, it's more vocal. <laughs> so it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride for the next couple of years as far as how people react to this stuff.
0: good stuff well let's talk about that um can you take me back to the start of the pandemic um you know what were you doing yeah talk to me a little bit about your journey there you've mentioned the metaverse and i want to talk a little bit about your your work in that space but also you know with someone who is in the kind of digital world and and the live events world a little bit like myself um would love to kind of get your recollection of how you live that and what your motion and what, where your energy was when you realized everybody was going to go virtual.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, it's funny. I, I had, there's a couple of uh, my friends that also did a lot of presentations, uh, pre pandemic for years on topics around hybrid events, uh, and things like hub and spoke and things like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, uh, just virtual events in general. Uh, and all of us became kind of like, uh, Asked for a lot during the pandemic, as far as like webinars and, and those kind of things, because um, we already had a lot of content on that. Uh, so, I mean, right prior to the pandemic, and then at the beginning of it, I was uh, working with a lot of uh, clients in my consultancy uh, who produce large-scale events, like like quite large, um, in into as much as the hundreds of thousands. And I was doing things like attendee personas uh, and. Uh, a lot of event data uh, hypothesis and working with the data team to to verify things uh and uh and creating like organizing principles for events and such Uh, so i was doing that and then uh the pandemic happened and that that dried up pretty quickly and i ended up being tapped for go-to-market strategies from so many different event technology companies that were pivoting from being an event app to a virtual event platform or in some instances things as disparate as uh, a romantic style uh, matchmaking to network virtual networking, right? So everyone was trying to get in on this world, and I was doing go-to-market strategies for for all these tech companies. Um, Can you
0: break that down? What that means? I mean, people were sort of saying, "Hey, there's a big opportunity in yep. for planners doing virtual events. You know the market. Can you help us position ourselves? More, in some
1: way? more or less that, yeah. It was uh, you uh, a, a few different things. So it was like, okay, we need. Uh, a a good, like a pretty uh, organized go-to-market strategy that includes um, campaigning, um, uh, who to talk to, the associations, what shows to be in, uh, thought leadership strategies. Um, Uh, persona development for b2b which i've done quite an extensive amount of when it comes to like the different planners from conferences to trade shows to incentives like i've done every you know 10 or 12 different personas for each one of those uh subsets of the events industry so i was doing a lot of that work for these tech companies that were uh pivoting because before it was very different an event app proposition from a marketing perspective is very different than a virtual event uh app a virtual event app is is running the show so it's about design, uh, it's about the attendee experience more so where the where uh, I think the feeling of event apps prior to that was most about expediency and organization. Uh, it's, it's just a different uh, way to communicate. So these companies had to really quickly pivot uh, the ones that were already in the space and the ones that were not in the space, which I dealt with quite a few of them, they had to completely understand, what's a planner? Are they just like any other consumer? And it's like, no, no, full of eccentricities uh, that... <laughs> You would think this would work, but it it won't. And in fact, this works well and uh, you wouldn't think it would. Uh, Lots of that kind of stuff. So I was doing that. And one of my clients I had off and on for years was a company called All Seated, uh, is a company called All Seated. And um,
0: I was… Before we go there, let me just just take it to that point that you made, which I think is really interesting. When you kind of explain to people that aren't in the space what's unique about planners yeah um are you kind of coming at it from the perspective of hey every sector has its kind of idiosyncrasies and everyone does yeah yeah and and these are no different but i kind of know a little bit more about these guys than you do or 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 do you think they're actually completely unique like planners are this completely different species.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I I would say that if you looked at lawyers, they're as different, you know, uh, to doctors as planners are to somebody else. Right. Like there there's things that, you know, don't say that, uh, you know, th- that will turn them off. This will turn them on uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, but then there, there's things that are like more specific where they're like a oh, trade show conference, pretty much the same thing. Right. It's just a bunch of people coming together. Uh Right, And it's like, well, no, like the exhibitor is actually uh, the client and the attendee is the deliverable in a trade show. And in a conference, the attendee is uh, the client and everyone else is sort of the deliverable. It's it's there's nuanced differences between what keeps them up at night Uh, and really when you're talking about marketing and and gaining trust it's about using their words authentically uh and and having it seem as though that you are someone who completely understands their uh their struggles uh from an emotional standpoint because a lot of what i do is i create the uh talk tracks and and ways to communicate so it's a lot of it's education on this is what it's like to be somebody in this position. Like, this is how stressful it is. Uh, you know, just like we talked about earlier about the failure thing. I'm like, what do you think about failure? And I would ask them that. And I'm like, all right, here's here's a couple of videos I have of, of people I know who plan events. And this is what I told, you know, this is what I asked them and same thing. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're not on the same page. And it's like, no, you can't, you can't go at them uh, like they're you. You have to have empathy for their position, which is very different than yours, uh, mm. no matter what. Their their events not going to be moved back, you know, another quarter to get it right, you know, uh, and they and they also don't have sprints. And there's all these things about, you know, like they're not agile, right? Like there's all these there's all these things that, uh, you know, from from one world to the other that they that, that don't translate. So I, I try to really under help organizations understand uh, how to communicate to planners who also have, I think, been in some instances abused. Uh, by tech companies coming in and coming out, uh, and uh, and trying to get rich quick, uh, which hasn't been successful, so they're guards up, uh, mm-hmm. and they're they're extremely risk averse to the degree that like, it's like insurance planners. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else would like be more uh, adv- adverse to risk to some extent HR there's a few groups that are just like we we don't deal in risk you know we deal like if you ask me and detect it's like if I were to give you this proposition would you want the shiniest newest coolest thing a little bit beta or You know, something that gets the job done, good workhorse won't fail. I
0: didn't know what the second option was. Like (laughs) like, what else?
1: It's just yeah. There's that paradigm. Like they're like, you know, that there's there's unicorns without horns, right? And they just plow fields and like they do stuff and they're they're reliable. And they're like, we just shoot for the unicorn stuff, like just the magic. And it's like, well, yeah, they would prefer half as much uh, shiny things for twice as much uh, security. Uh, and that's, that's the game. So there's all these different, uh, ways to, uh, and you don't want to communicate the other way like, look, I even see like there's some of these new social media platforms that are cropping up in the wake of Twitter being weird. Uh, and they're like, look, if you're joining this, we just want to set your expectations. It's going to be buggy. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. And, And I can just imagine, you know, having content that's, that's aimed at the event planner world. They're like, we have the, the newest like, coolest way to network, and it's, like, the, the, it's, it's really, uh, it's algorithmically, you know, uh, awesome, and, and, uh, there's lots of AI, et cetera. It might fail, uh, you know, it, it, it might not be ready for your day of, but, but if it does, it's going to be so good. <laughs> like, it's a zero conversion, right? Like, they, there's just no chance, uh, so yeah. it's, uh, it's a lot of that. It's just like to have people understand that the market they're going in, that they're investing in, that um, you have to understand the rules. And the rules are are a certain way because your point of is it different than other sectors? The fact that it, it, there's a landing of, of a day or two or three uh, and that's it uh, is, is very weird. You know, like the, the tent goes up, the tent goes down. That's unusual when it comes to uh, different markets and different uh, lines of business. Like if you're selling to lawyers, you know that law firm is their 365, uh, and they they can you know they can something can go another week. You know they can figure it out. There's no other week for this. Like the 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 date set.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think that's something I've been looking at a lot in terms of during the pandemic. Tech moved very fast, right? It it had to, it had that demand. Um, But before that, it feels like tech is always much slower than other industries because what you were saying, you know, the event itself only happens for a few days out of the year. Even if you're running multiple events, it's still up and down, right? It's still like, you know, powering up, powering down, and then you don't get that kind of continuous data feedback and then kind of continuous consumption. So it makes the development cycles a lot stranger, right? Because you're always adapting to that.
1: Every development date I've ever been given uh, on a roadmap has been moved back uh, by months to longer than that every time internally with organizations that I've worked with. It It's not there's no firm dates. It's when it's right you know and there's all these you know the idioms that they use within the tech sector uh to to combat that of saying like if it's good enough you know to ship you know ship it or things like that right if it's uh if you're not embarrassed by your first you know iteration of something then you waited too long like there's all these platitudes that exist within the tech world in order to motivate and spur things on because it has to be done artificially in the events world it's like if your event isn't you know, the first event you do isn't embarrassing, uh, then you waited too long, doesn't make sense, right? Like your first event isn't a knockout that that sets everybody's expectations up for, you know, this is going to be an amazing uh, series of events, then no one will come to the second one. That's how they think in that. And because those are reverse, um, it's once again, another reason why that these aren't natural partners, and that it requires some finessing and communication to get on the same page. Absolutely.
0: So let's go to uh, All Seated, you mentioned, which I think yeah. is kind of a segue into the metaverse. You were working with them on and off, and then you ended up in a full-time role with them. Yeah, and I helped
1: them create a, like a think tank uh, that had a bunch of people that I've I've worked with over the years. Uh, Corbin Ball, David Adler, Dahlia, uh, Brant Kruger, um, Liz uh uh trying to think who else is on this group uh, dave uh, jim spellos just the, the almost usual suspects and uh you know the people that if you to me it's like if i could put together a dream team these these would be the people on it and uh so we were having these these calls with uh, uiux and the developers uh for months about Taking what they were doing in the 2D space uh, in in room design and applying that to three dimensions and then let's pop some video in there and, and let's call this a virtual event, which everybody else was doing as we have this uh, you know, list of, of things that are going on in an event. Let's pop a video into it and call it a virtual event. It's just a slightly different premise, which intrigued me because I just did go to markets on like five different. Uh, of the other, right? So I was like, I need something different, and and because of that, I was having staying on after the calls, being like, you know, there's six other things you could do with this, and like there's HR implications, and there's all these other things. Uh, so I was kind of wooed to, uh, you know, come in full time, which I hadn't expected to be able to have, or really had any interest initially in uh, working for a company full time. Uh, but I uh, I did that, uh, and it was it was it was tough. It was really hard to sell. a 3d platform when two things was happening during the pandemic one uh, the adoption of virtual events uh, for planners was at gunpoint you know it wasn't like they were enthusiastically choosing to do that they they were up against the wall and they had no other choice Uh, which which makes all the prognosis of where these you know these platforms are like this is great they love this it's like no no no. they just have to use you Uh, and they have to use one of you and what they were wired to do was, you know, as I've said before, pick the one that had the least amount of risk, which looks the most amount like the things that they expect to see based on a quickly put together um, market. So uh, there's a bunch of market leaders and everyone kind of follows and, and everything looks more to me, less more or less the same. And here I am trying to sell an orange to a bunch of people that are that are like, you know, unenthusiastically picking apples. And I. Uh, it was difficult, and then Mark Zuckerberg comes out of nowhere and says, uh, "Hey, we're we're Meta now because uh, the metaverse is here, and the metaverse is 3D, and it's it's community, uh, and it's uh, you know it's exchanges, it's working together, and it's it's sort of events." And then we were like, "Oh, that's a better word, you know, than virtual event platform, which we you know couldn't successfully get people to think of us as." So uh, we we ran with that, and there was a, a rebranding of what was then Expo into Metaverse, uh, which, you know, the M E A T, uh, one, I hope that Arby's owns that or somebody, because that's a, that's a great name. I really, somebody owns it. I was trying to buy it, but, uh, so we were M E E T uh, averse. And, uh, so from, from like November of last year to, you know, November of this year, I had been working on, on developing that, uh, on trying to find a market fit and working a lot with, um, Gartner to understand where they think this is in different sectors and like where's where's the opportunity and it's when I understood more and more why Facebook did what they did uh, then I was like oh okay not only there was the like sort of I don't even want to say conspiracy theory because it's it's like so obvious that it was a PR move to be able to uh, change the conversation around them of being like the villains of the past and and to be the heroes of the future. Uh, So there was that element of it, of like strategically when they said it. Uh, And then second, it was because the more I did research on the the concept of Web3, which is nebulous and and probably more or less meaningless, but like, you know, the next generation of the Internet, like where we'll probably know what Web3 is, you know, far after Web3 is, you know, into it or over. Um, Everything that everyone's saying about what they want from the Internet moving forward is everything that Facebook is not. Uh, it's in opposition to them, you know. It's it's we want our data. We want we don't want some you know person who created Hot or Not to be able to you know have this much power. Uh, we we want uh, decentralized uh, you know everything, and uh, we wanted to make it in a way that is more human. And you know he's dehumanized communication and and centralized data. So he must have seen that coming of saying, oh, oh, this is where I become obsolete. You know, this is where this is what replaces me. So he bought the flag of the future uh, and is, is just sitting there hoping that he has enough money to wait until the future is here. And it's not here.
0: <laughs> it, it, it,
1: it is. It is absolutely not. It, it's, it's very much like a this is a time to play around, which. If it's not your money, which it wasn't mine, it's great. You know, I'm like I'm learning stuff. I'm I'm learning about what the prototypical metaverse, because I still believe it, it will be, you know, whatever it's called, will be a thing. Uh, like, what will be the building blocks? Like, how do humans react to this? Like, when you design a three D experience, uh, what what are the learning lessons? And I got to watch people do that. Like, there was little things where. An event in a 3D space. Someone would say, after the speaker is over, come back to the bar and uh, you can have a conversation uh, with that that person. And I'm like, oh, it's great that they used physical objects as a reference point um, organically, and just little things like that. I'm like, that's great. Like that is slightly more mm-hmm. human than saying, click on the box to the left, uh, you know, and and follow the link to the chat room of that. All of that is not human speak, right? So uh, I like. A lot of that. So it was like little lessons that I was picking up when I'm like, years from now, when this is going to be more relevant, uh, I'm like, okay, I, I know how to design better in this space in order to, you know, but that's not my money, right? So like yeah, yeah. It, the money so runs out when.
0: Interesting, interesting example because, okay, so I'm watching this keynote, um, mm-hmm. doesn't matter the platform, but then it says go to the bar and you get to interact, ask questions to the keynote, right? And then mm-hmm. so. I'm guessing if I'm in a 3D environment, I have to then move my avatar or move myself, um, mm-hmm. figure out where I am in this space, figure out where the bar is, You know, probably a few keystrokes, arrow, joystick, mouse, wherever you're gonna sure. like surf around, then you end up in this environment, and then you're in a breakout style environment, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of where you would end up. That's what the bar would probably be to make, to facilitate that interaction, right? Yeah. The, the other option to that is, click on the button that shows up to my left to go and have a conversation with the speaker that you've just heard, right? Yeah. In my mind, I'm thinking that's way easier. Like, yes, I get it's kind of fun to find the bar, but if I can just yeah, click on a button it's more and than fun. go there. Yeah, it's more
1: than fun that, though. So. Does
0: that help though? Or is that just yeah, us it does. sort of thinking that, hey, everybody wants to hang out in the metaverse and actually they don't. They just so want to go so that exists.
1: Speech. Totally, that sentiment exists of like let's just try to make this happen, but it, I, I'm getting into, into the the psychology of it. So like, especially when I watch my my eight year old in Roblox, and like his ability to create memories in a digital space and, and 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 deal with content in a way that he can reference it later, and it has an impact on him is greater enhanced by by a sense of presence and permanence because there was a space that he did that. So he would reference, remember that thing in, the, in that house over there that we went through that had that slide? Like That is memory markers rooted into how we are built as people. Meanwhile, remember that thing that someone said in chat it gets blurred with every other platform and experience like that. So it depends on your goals. But if your yeah. goals are to create actual change, uh, it, it, be having them being rooted in, in an emotional uh, uh, space that includes presence uh, and memory markers is a big deal. So mm-hmm. it, it really depends. Now, and all that stuff has to be, you know, most of us in the tech space, like, we're so wired for expediency. And, in fact, the virtual event platforms, like, that's where they started, right? Like, they started exclusively in a, in a place where an, an app is faster and better than a binder. You know, I remember going to, to conferences with a big, giant binder, so oh, like I they're think about
0: planners still do right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, oh well, the planners have them too. But as an attendee, I remember getting a giant binder, oh, yeah, yeah. and that was my app. You know, I was like looking through this thing, and it was insane. Yeah, planners so, still do have binders. Uh,
0: so yeah. Two, two things come to mind here, if you don't yeah. mind. Um Sure. One is I, I see I, I still feel like it may be an extra barrier, but you know, let's go with this. Um, on one side, I see sort of this like Twitter versus Instagram kind of. Mm-hmm notion here where i'm very much in the twitter sphere you know like or any other kind of more text-based social media where you're searching text or you're finding these things and you're making comments and you're doing that um and that's sort of how i navigate my way around but i could see a lot of planners who are you know doing a lot of stuff on instagram prefer very much the visual approach right they don't want to know what to search for whatever they just want to like see an image they like it they kind of figure it out they kind of go and so there's that element of i don't really need the whole text context thing around it i can just go towards this thing that i find interesting and i think from that perspective it's it's interesting because you sort of the metaverse is not going to replace google you almost let go of the i guess web 2 kind of infrastructure in that sense Totally, I, I think
1: Web two and Web three are actually going to live uh, a lot of the applications in uh, in sync. Like, I, I don't think that I don't believe that a lot of the, the the ways that we get information from Web two are going to disappear simply because there is Web three. Like, I think uh, that there is a lot of need for um, content to be just content and not to be an experience. But I think that there's also missing right now from uh, the digital world are our digital experiences uh and it, it, it will probably shake out that there'll be certain times where it makes sense to uh to create an experience and then certain times to to host content uh yeah. but at least there'll be an alternative and at least there'll be there'll be options but there's a lot a lot of friction between uh that aspirational goal of of what people are talking about the metaverse and and 2022 and frankly 2023 yeah, yeah, so, but I mean, it, there, there's there's a there's good signs there, and ultimately, I just really care about what it takes to bring people together. Like I'm still that person who, you know, is a teenager saying like, "Where's my tribe? Where's my group?" You know, and I'm go I'll go anywhere. Like I went from going to online forums for you know Star Trek and X Files and stuff like that to finding shows and and finding the live events with that and, and loving that too. Like as a consumer, as an attendee. Uh, And I think that like, and it's a different level and I think that they can, they can play into each other. They can springboard and it's very cyclical. Uh, It's not in opposition and it's, it's harmonious. And I think virtual has been there and hasn't had a fair shake yet as far as in a world where it's not mandatory. uh, And we're finding out where it sits in the pecking order now. Uh, And then I think that this next bridge will be a third option eventually.
0: (laughs) One quick question to to elaborate. You mentioned Roblox, and I think a lot of people, you know, talk about the experiences on Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft. A lot of kind of yeah, especially do all younger things. generations living in those spaces and kind of mm-hmm. being there. Very much so. But one thing I see that's quite different is that even on the simpler level of Fortnite and Roblox, from what I understand of it, it's quite complex. It's quite dense. There's a million different worlds in there, right? And yeah. when we build virtual events. As much as we can put, you know, hundreds of sessions or whatever, it's a relatively simple environment. Like there's not actually that much to discover. And most of it is sort of, hey, we built a 3D convention center because people feel familiar with it. So then you can explore, you know, room A, room B, and room C so, I feel like a lot of what happens on Roblox and Minecraft is the fact that there's so much to discover, and you go and kind of find your path, and there's a million different options. And those
1: are also fun, too. And then the other thing that you exactly. is, is and the not discovery
0: fun. is part of the fun, right? It's not <laughs> yeah. just like, oh, there's yeah. a serious conversation here, and there's a serious conversation there, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I feel like, yes, those are good examples, but unless we can build virtual events that are fun, and have mm. that depth where you have a million different choices, and actually things lead to places that you're not really expecting and necessarily control. I don't think they're comparable in in many ways because we're like this is a sort of sterile. They're environment not one to one. Add you know a little bit of content.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, I honestly, I look at like almost a fortnight to a a B two B, let's call it three D, you know, uh, event uh, in the same way that I look at. Uh, a, a B2B event and a a sports uh, experience, right? So you, you go, oh, man, like I want to create a sense of, you know, energy and excitement and belonging and all these things from in my dentist, you know, uh, conference. Uh, and then yep. you're like, yeah. and then over here, here's sports where people literally lawyers have shirts off painted in colors. Uh, dedicated to the arbitrary city that they grew up in, right? So yeah. it it is and it like at, at a different level of maturity as far as the realization of that, and because it's centered around something that is effortle- effortlessly fun uh versus something that is sort of mandatorily done. So I, I think that it's more of a place. In, now, do B two B events? Do they have the ability to learn from a Disney's, you know, surprise and delight and uh uh, you know, a, a Kanye concerts way that they have, you know, I made a bad example in 2022, uh, some Taylor Swift. Oh, a bad example 2022. Uh, some, some concert that you would want to, or could go to, uh, and, um, see the energy that's happening there in a one-to-one way no your dentist conference is not going to be the same it's not going to be you know uh lit as the kids say uh but it (laughs) is an element that has like there is a an ethos or an energy or something like that that you could borrow to make it you know incrementally better and i think that's what Fortnite or things like this that are playing in those spaces right now offer to people who are designing uh, you know things in our space um, they I, I watch it for more of like okay like sense of presence is a big one like the example I gave with my with my kid you know, like he he has memories from spaces more than he has memories from from 2D content consumption. And with that, you can build on that. So from a design perspective, you, you have to think about, OK, you know, you're not going to necessarily get a gun and shoot people in your dentist conference like you would in a Fortnite, a Fortnite. Uh, but is there something about gaming and gamification and points and teams and randomness and you know like what are the what are the broad elements of this that could be applied uh so i look at the inspiration from it as opposed to -to one-to-one because one-to-one it gets crushed it's just not fun you know like it's getting lost versus discovery right like those are kind of like the big difference like you can get lost in the big conference uh hall digital twin uh, but you don't get lost in fortnite you discover things I'm yeah. doing that now in the new Pokemon game like i'm I'm playing that and I'm like it's a it's an open world thing so I'm just finding stuff and in, if I was at a trade show and I'm like uh, I don't want to endlessly for days and days and days try try to find the booth I want to go to right like at a certain point th- this is you know this is business this is you know not what I'm you know doing for joy. Uh and you know, we have to create ways to you know inject as much joy as pos- as possible, but it's not it's never gonna be one to one. Like it, your your uh your trade show is never gonna be as exciting as the Super Bowl. Sorry. Like it, it just isn't. Uh but it doesn't mean that you don't look at the Super Bowl for uh tips on how to keep people's attention and how to tell stories and how to, you know, create emotional connection. You do. You just know that like your expectations shouldn't be, you know, on par. <laughs>
0: yeah, I love it. I think that that's totally right. Do you think that the next generation is actually going to be playing a virtual game live rather than attending a virtual conference, or is that too far?
1: i think I think anything that when that has a conversation on replacing things is too far and uh, missing the point. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, back and forth, you know, like virtual ups, this game, you know, the, the fact that like, I think I look at, think of content as a way of like, man, do I, as a 40 some year old person not want to experience as much content at a live event as I used to, I'm happy to listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, uh, and, and find all the other easy ways it is to get content. When I go to live events, I'm craving the hallways and the people, And I want more of that. So um, that is not, virtual isn't replacing it. It's changing my appetite. Uh, And maybe it's making, it should be at least pushing content at live events to change and be more interactive or be something that's more pure that can only exist in live. So I think that it's likely going to change how we do things, I hope, versus replace. Uh, Because when I go to like a, geez, even, uh, I, I didn't go this year, but like New York Comic-Con, it's like over 250,000 paying attendees in addition to the uh, all of the people that are there for uh, exhibition. It's... Um you know, it's, that's that same group of people that are playing Roblox. They're not like not going to that thing. They still crave community, still crave in person. Uh, but the things that are there in that, and granted that's a B2C space, but you know, for, we're we're trying to do apples to apples here, uh, that's, that's still people who are enthusiastically taking part in, in a community around something and esports, you know, what's growing in that is, is the live events themselves like the, um, I mean, there's as many as you know, multiple millions. Like five million was the new um, record a couple weeks ago uh, for League of Legends um, that were uh, uh, concurrently watching uh, a stream, and that like doesn't include China, which is probably you know could be as much as double that. And uh, but the live events are growing and growing, and they're they're creating different experiences for the live event. So my hope. Uh, And, and all, I think all indicators are showing that it's not about the replacement of, it's about the change of like, do we need, you know, all parts that were in uh, from a a time when the only uh, game in town was live events? I don't think so. You know, I think that a lot of the things that we did at at live events or we've in the habit of doing are because there was no alternative. Like I like a flipped classroom as an example of a model. I really, I love the idea of, and I, I wish it was adopted more where I got, we got all our content ahead of time and we went to the event and we, and we got together and we connected and we talked about what we learned and we did that in practical ways. And there was workshops and things like that. I like that and I hope that eventually once I think that the dust settles on like running back to 2019 style events is which what I'm seeing currently I'm hoping that there's still an opportunity for innovation in the face of it I think that ultimately no matter what it's going to happen because there's going to be a whole new generation of people that's that are less inclined to sit in a lecture for 45 minutes uh, and they're more inclined to you know binge it you know when they want to or, or they're you know running or, or doing whatever else they're doing um and there but i still think that that humanity craves humanity regardless uh, so that part's not going away
0: i love it good motivation for events and planners all around and for tech companies to to figure it out uh, if there's demand somebody will figure it out right
1: Yeah, it's they're 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 going back and forth uh, right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities for them to work together, certainly. Uh, But at the point we're at right now, it's one is pushing the other, uh, and I just I want both to succeed. I'm I'm a rising tide person. I I want tech to succeed and be uh, the tools that 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 are needed in order to get to the next level. Uh, I've been in both camps. I don't really I don't have a preference. I just my preference is people coming together. Uh, and however that is done at the, in the best way possible, like I, I, there's a lot of people that root for one side versus the other. This is right and this is wrong. People are the side I'm on and whatever it takes. Like we learned a lot of lessons during the pandemic around inclusion. Uh, and whole people who were underserved in live events because live live events cater to people who are primed and ready to get in a plane and be around thousands of people. And we left everyone else in the dust. And in those two years, we learned that there's lots of contributing members of communities who didn't have a voice uh, and they had one. And I don't wanna go backwards on that. Uh, and I also don't wanna take away live events. I think there's an opportunity for everyone to, to participate. Uh, and in the way that they want to and it just takes both sides sitting at the table and and working working out their, their issues yeah for sure
0: nick it's been a pleasure um really interesting conversation we could talk about this for hours but let's make sure that our uh, podcast guests uh, <laughs> yeah wrap up soon uh and 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 kind of um you know we can do a follow up conversation at some point would love to get your recommendation for somebody else that we absolutely should invite on the podcast and maybe something that you would uh, would ask uh, him or her
1: yeah yeah i mean uh, i get a lot of inspiration from a gentleman named greg bogue uh, at the merits uh, global events uh, team uh, in in design studio uh, and he's their chief experience officer Um, he is just so smart Um, he just thinks about things from a completely different point i think most of us are we all say the same things cause we talk about the same stuff all the time. And I think he's, uh, he's coming at things from a completely different angle uh, around pure design and design thinking. Uh, and if I were to ask him something, you know, I would ask him, I would ask him about, uh, are, are 3d events, uh, inherently, uh, in digital 3d events, inherently, um, inevitable, uh, or, or could we, you know, potentially not go that route because it's not what people want. Um, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear what he has to say about this because he's also pretty impartial as far as, um, what, uh, whatever it takes. That's what design thinking tells you. It really, it's a, it's a methodology that, you know, has you try things and have an open mind. Uh, so I'm, uh, I like I like hearing from people with open minds as opposed to people with agendas trying to sell stuff.
0: <laughs> Love it. Really appreciate the recommendation. Uh, it'd be great to have Greg on the show. Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us and sharing some of your thoughts. And uh, where can people find you if they want to follow up or connect or anything like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm super easy to find them on every single social media uh, that is still around. Uh, we'll see it, you know, when this air drops, if if they're all still there, but it's just N-I-C-K-B-O-R-E-L-L-I. Uh, it's Nick at NickBorelli.com for email. And then social media is just my name.
0: Thank you, Nick. I appreciate your Thank time. You.